Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast by movie nerds for movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. And today's podcast, we are uh, hitting a different type of movie here. This is a uh, movie that's not so much un- unknown or underrated. It's just kind of been forgotten a little bit over the years. And I am talking, of course, about the uh, 1997, 98 movie Swingers. I'm going to have my guest correct me. I actually forgot to write down what year it was. But it's a late 90s movie called Swingers. It's a comedy starring Vince Vaughn and John Favreau and a uh, very uh, famous indie movie that somehow kind of was made out of nowhere and hit it big and became a huge deal and then i think of the audience maybe nowadays might not even know what a big deal it was and that's one of the reasons i wanted to talk about it so i'm going to bring on my guest here my guest on this podcast he's a uh, long time friend of mine we've been uh uh, friends going back to the MySpace years, I believe. He uh, He's a stand-up comedian, or uh, improv comic in uh, Florida. And I'm proud to say he's one of the only guests on Staff Picks. I've actually been in his house before. I actually stayed at his house a couple weeks ago. So it's very exciting to bring him on the show. This is a guy who makes me laugh pretty much like nobody else. His name is George Hands. Welcome to the show, George. Thanks, Mario. But uh, I was kind of confused. This isn't the movie about the swing dancers who are Hitler Youth by Day? That's a different one? No, that's that's a Disney movie, right? Christian Bale, the dude from House? <laughs> no, that is not. Oh, that's Swing Kids. That's a different one. Okay. All right. Well, this is going to be awkward. I'll do my best. Okay. What year exactly is this movie? I forgot to write it down. I am a horrible host. Yes, that's true. <laughs> oh, and also 1996. Okay, 1996. The uh, Swingers came out in 1996. It was an indie film. Basically, it's a... Uh, script that this guy john favreau wrote he was a uh, struggling young actor in fact george you probably know more about this than i do you said you did a lot of research give us give us kind of the history on how swingers happened a short version it really was a little movie that could john favreau struggling actor uh, just like they all are in in the 90s in uh in la he wrote this script in like a week and a half which is ridiculous and just like a lot of these movies, when you're when you're uh, a script writer, not that I am, started showing it to his friends, doing it with his friends, and he finally uh, they tried to get the money. They brought people in. the The story behind this thing getting getting done was was ridiculous. Asking on bended knee to get things filmed, only uh, uh, using an old camera that they had to wrap in in uh, some guy's coat in a in a blanket, so because it was so loud, it wasn't meant for dialogue. Just using not uh, using sites without permits, using parties that were real parties or bars with real customers. It's just it was amazing uh, uh, that it got done, and it actually was a flop when it when it first came out. It wasn't until it hit Blockbuster, remember those, that it really took off. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was a flop. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I want to say like it. I don't. It made its money back. I guess the money that they raised, however, whatever Miramax gave them or or whatever, uh, um, it, it didn't make that money back. I want to say it made like four million or something like that, and they got like a five million dollar deal, something like that. Uh, but yeah, it didn't it didn't really take off until Blockbuster uh, put the 20 uh, cassettes there on the thing and people saw it and said, oh, this looks good. And boom, it happened. Yeah, this is one of those things that uh, a lot of people remember Goodwill Hunting from that era of just these two kids writing this script and it becoming this huge thing. And it launched a couple of careers. But Swingers is really not that much different, correct? No, you had uh, John Favreau, who at that point, I think he had done uh you know, he was a little fat kid and Rudy, you know, the friend of a friend. And that was it. Um, 
he he hadn't really done much. Vince Vaughn hadn't really done much. Uh, Ron Livingstone hadn't hadn't done um, Office Space yet. So uh, Heather Graham was a nobody. None of these people were no or, or all these people were nobodies. The director, uh, um, all these people, which I'll talk about later. It really was a you could say there's the the nine degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon, but you could probably do a nine degrees of of swingers in in three degrees because it's amazing the careers that it set off. Yeah, and John Favreau obviously became a uh, well-known director. He's directed a lot of movies over the years, but at the time, the one that really busted out of this movie was Vince Vaughn. I just remember him showing up, and all of a sudden, he was everywhere. And how I got into this movie is I remember hearing uh, Bill Simmons on ESPN.com at the time used to write about this movie all the time. This was one of his all-time favorites, and he would really hype Swingers and Vince Vaughn in particular to the point that he's written entire columns, I know, like... The wisdom of swingers. How can you apply, how you can apply it to everything in your life? Is that is that kind of how you remember it bursting onto the scene, or how did you really hear about swingers for the first time? Yeah, uh, I definitely am a Bill Simmons fan since since way back when, and he had his running gimmick where he would take twenty uh, or thirty quotes from a movie and then uh, use those quotes to to talk about you know the NFL season at the halfway point. You know, uh, if we were using Godfather, you know, you broke my heart. Fredo was uh, uh, you know Tom Brady getting hurt in the you know first quarter of the first game of the season and killing everyone's fantasy teams. That was a gimmick he would use a lot, and he did that with with swingers as well. Um, you know, he took all these quotes, you know, Vegas, baby, and your money and you don't know it and all these these quotes and, and turned them into, I think it was an NFL column from around that time. Yeah. And and I do remember, of course, Vince Vaughn. That's the thing. Like, what what were his projects after this? I remember, again, Vince Vaughn was just a struggling young actor. He and John Favreau were buddies. And it really it's really similar to the Goodwill Hunting story. That's the thing that this is literally their story that Favreau and Vaughn were friends in Hollywood. Favreau wrote about their experiences. He wrote Mikey about himself. He wrote Trent about Vince Vaughn. And then Vince Vaughn hit it so big, like within a year, he was like, in the they they made the remake of Psycho and Vince Vaughn was going to be the Norman Bates I'm like what well that's quite a career trajectory your very first movie all of a sudden you're doing Psycho yeah he uh, you know in one hand you're you're watching him be Trent you know double down and then uh, you know next thing you look he's masturbating through a peephole at Anne Hache right right as we all did uh, back then of course I mean you know she was pretty hot. Okay, now for people who have not seen Swingers before, I'm just going to give a little quick overview here. This is really, and again, it's kind of a guy movie. It's kind of a, a dude bro movie, as you'd call it nowadays. But I, that, as one of the things we're going to get into the podcast, I think that's kind of unfair to it. It's a lot more charming than that. Um, it's one of these things. It's basically just these four struggling actors out in Hollywood, and it's just their lives going through the motions, trying to get auditions, trying to get roles, and they hang out and they play video hockey, and at night they go to clubs and they try to pick up girls, and they have all these rules with how you can pick up girls and what you have to do and how to play the game, how to do the dance, when you can call them, how many days. It's, again, it's it's very similar to, as we'd see later, the uh, the show How I Met Your Mother, if you know Barney Stinson. That's kind of... There's a bunch of Barney Stinsons, and you have the one Ted who is Mikey, and Mikey is is kind of a schlub. He's kind of sad. He's kind of pathetic, and that will be the motif of this movie, that it's one guy trying to fit in with all these buddies who are much more or much better with women than he is. And, uh, and I know, George, you have told me before we did this podcast that this uh, movie is not dissimilar to your life, correct? You were the Mikey among your friends? 
<laughs> yeah, I absolutely was the Mikey, although uh, maybe not quite so so sad as him and, and not so much hung up on one particular girl. But uh, growing up high school and, and, and college, I was uh, I was that guy in the PG movie that everyone's really hoping it happened for, <laughs> uh, you know, to use a line from the movie, because uh, the rejections, rejections that I got, if I were to write a movie about myself, people would be like, no, that's that's just unrealistic. There's there's no possible way that that someone could have this sort of bad luck but that was me and my buddies were there for me like uh uh you know trent is and, and sue and, and rob uh uh and you know you talked about four struggling actors but uh you know i think you're kind of racist because you forgot uh, charles <laughs> i'm sorry i forgot about the fifth guy i forgot the winston yes. zedmore of the group that was introduced halfway through the movie <laughs> absolutely you know i think uh you've got Every character in the movie, you could kind of, you know, groups of guys could relate to him. You know, Mikey, like I said, me, the kind of the, the nice guy, the, the, you know, sad sack though, always, you know, needing help from his buddies to, to lift his spirits. And you had your, your ringleader guy, Trent, who, who's always smooth and fast talker, gets, gets everyone organized. And, you know, Sue, the guy who every once in a while drinks too much and wants to start a fight. You know, every, every group of guys has that. You got, uh, Rob, Ron Livingstone. The new guy, kind of the friend of a friend, doesn't quite fit in, but, you know, it's kind of a tangential character to one of the people in the group as he slowly gets part of the group. And and then, of course, you have the black guy. (laughs) Yes. It was your group very similar? Yeah, we didn't have the black guy, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Okay. I have to say that it's it, there's a great irony in the fact that I, of all people, am sitting here talking about swingers. And this is why I'm so happy that George is on this particular podcast, because I have almost nothing to add in my personal life that's anything even remotely close to this movie. I am the, the squarest square ever. Like, I, I met my girlfriend in college, and she was like I was like her first boyfriend, and we were in the same dorm. And then we got married right after college, and we've been married for 22 years. So, like... I've never been dancing in a bar. I've never been, like, in a crowded bar trying to interact with people. I have, like, watching this movie, for me, it's kind of like science fiction. This is, like, this it might as well be a Star Trek movie because this is what young people do. So the irony is not lost on me that I am trying to provide, provide perspective here that this is how people in L.A. go out and meet people. So, George, I'm glad you're here. You will be the voice of the everyman as we delve into this movie. Great. Wow. If if I'm the uh, the guy that all guys are looking to to give uh, his opinion on on guys' life, uh, God help everyone li- listening to this. And to to reiterate this one more time, again, this is kind of a guy movie, but I will say my wife absolutely loves this movie. So if you're kind of turned off on this idea of a bunch of Barney Stinsons going around trying to pick up girls, just realize that's that's not really the whole point of the movie. The movie's actually very sweet. It's about this one guy, Mikey, just trying to get over some hangups and adjust to a new city. And by the end of the movie, basically, he's the only one that's succeeded. All his, you know, immature young friends are failing. They're not really getting girls. And all of a sudden, Mikey, the one who doesn't play by the rules, has actually succeeded, and he has a happy ending. So it's like, my wife thinks this is the cutest movie, and she loves it. So it's one of these, this is kind of a tough sell for people who have never seen it before, you know, trying to say it's just these four dude bros in L.A., or sorry, five. Four dude bros and a black guy trying to pick up girls in L.A. But I will say there's this is a much more charming movie than you think it would be. It's a much more charming movie than it would be just when you uh, hear the uh, summary of the plot. It's very cute. It's very fun. It's very well written. And if the fact that it just ties into this uh, real life story of John Favreau making it in Hollywood just makes it all the better. So it's one of these things. Would you kind of agree with me, George, that it's even though it's it's kind of guy based, I think there's a lot broader uh, appeal to this movie than people would expect. Absolutely. It's it's a movie about relationships and whether it's a 
a girl and her best girl pal, which there's plenty of movies out, out now that have the same thing. The relationship between Mikey and Trent, it's about best friends, you know, whether they're talking about hitting on girls or whatever. Throughout the movie, you see how much that Trent cares about Mikey. The premise is this guy trying to get over a girl, but it really is, you know, a, a love story, a, you know, bro love uh, between two guys and, and just how much uh, uh, Trent helps uh, Mikey evolve. And, and the whole story is, is about evolutions. You see Mikey evolve throughout it. You see uh, there's some interesting stuff with Ron, the, the friend of a friend. So yeah, it's it's just a movie about relationships. It doesn't matter that they're guys and they're going for girls. It's about friends taking care of each other, and it's there's some really sweet moments in the movie. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the. You said it's kind of a uh, love story, but it's it's also very much a love letter. And this is something that would apply more to me than you. That I live in Southern California. I've been to Los Angeles many times. This movie is such a love letter to the city of Los Angeles. Like it's from the opening credits, all the shots of stuff they're they're showing just famous buildings, landmarks. They show famous nightclubs. There's one the Derby that's in here. There's one the Dresden. Of course, I'm not cool. I've never been to any of these places, but I am aware that they exist, which is good enough. Like there's a like Fat Burger in the opening credits. You got a Mikey has an In and Out Burger T-shirt at some point. Again, it's such a little love letter to Los Angeles in like a certain point of time. This is like the late 90s in Los Angeles. It's just a specific point of time, like a time capsule. That's one thing I think people might appreciate about this movie. And the other thing is that I just have to say this. We're about to delve into the plot here, but there's a couple cringe moments in this movie. And this is the one thing I always think of when I think of swingers. There's maybe the most uncomfortable moment I have ever experienced in a movie. It's the answering machine scene. We'll get to that, obviously. But there's that's not the only one. There's a couple. If you like movies like The Office that have these cringe moments... This movie just revels in these cringe moments. So the fact that when Favreau's writing it, you could see him just giggling with glee as he's milking these scenes and just torturing the audience. Yeah, absolutely. The dialogue that that Mike wrote uh, or John Favreau wrote for the characters is is just unbelievable. And those cringeworthy moments, of course, the answering machine, which we'll get into. However, there are so many jokes that Mikey says throughout the movie uh, that just fall flat that, of course, remind me of me because I – I'll leave no pun unturned. I will say, you know, anything and knowing that it's not good, but, you know, it, it's it's hilarious. And, and to go back to what you said about the love story of L.A., it really does capture that time. I mean, we, we barely even mentioned swing music. Mm-hmm. You you had these bands at the time that came out of nowhere, the, the uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Squirrel Nut Zippers, other things with multiple random words put together. And, and people got dressed up and, and went out dancing, uh, you know, like it was the 50s, because that's when swing music was. And that just wasn't there. You know, at that particular time in, in our lives, it was grunge music. It was all about anti-establishment and, you know, just bopping around and, and banging your head or whatever. And, and this made dancing and, and actually touching each other when you danced cool again. In, in the, the L.A. love story part is there's not only the acting and, and the swing music, but uh, another cool thing that you see in, in Mikey's apartment is uh, the cracks in the uh, apartment from from earthquakes. I thought that was oh. pretty cool. And yeah, you know, because that's that's L.A. at that, you know, I was going to say at that time, but I'm sure it's the same now. Oh, no, the earthquakes have stopped. We've got that fixed. Oh, that's good. That's good. 
Okay, so, again, these are the things you need to know about this movie. It was a big indie hit at the time, uh, financed by Harvey Weinstein. We will just kind of skip over that part for now. And then, uh, yeah, just these guys that wrote this movie, it, it became a big hit. They made millions of dollars, all got careers out of it, and it just changed the lingo. There's words in this movie that were introduced, like, yeah, like, you're so money, uh, daddy's going to do this, beautiful babies. There's, this movie has its own language, its own lingo that kind of became a thing for a while. It tied in with this big band music this uh, swing music thing that kind of came back in the late 90s. It was just a really, really big deal, kind of like the the perfect storm. Everything just kind of hit for this movie to be a hit all at the same time. So are you ready, George, to delve into the sad tale of Mikey and his friends and swingers? Sad tale? This is, it's got a happy ending. It's got a, it's it's a great movie. It really is. I am absolutely ready. Uh, um, I've been ready for this my whole life because I'm money and, and, Vegas baby and other lines from the movie. Yeah, the thing with George is he's money, but he does know it, and that's the problem. Absolutely, I do know that, which I found out from one of these things I read that they took that from the uh, the Nike commercials, uh, Mars Blackman and Michael Jordan. Hey, yo, money, you know that. So oh. there, fun fact. That is a fun fact. Thank you, George. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. All right, so this is the story of Mikey, John Favreau. He's a uh, young actor in Hollywood. He's just moved out here from the East Coast, and... What, about six months ago, he was recently dumped by his girlfriend, Michelle. And suffice it to say, Mikey is not over this. He is, it's been six months, and he is having a hard time adjusting to the fact that his girlfriend has dumped him. Yeah, I love the first scene, the two buddies sitting there in the diner, and um, Ron Livingstone, or Rob, he tells him, there's nothing you can do to make her come back. There's only things you can do to not make her come back. And, you know... You have to pretend to forget, and eventually you you will forget, and that's when they come back, and that's the rub. It's it's true. Relationships, when you have heartache, there's nothing you can do to make that person come back, and 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 you just sit there and you whine about it, and eventually the whining goes away, and you get over it. And that is when they call. Yeah, there's a lot of truths in this movie about love and relationships, and they kind of sneak up on you. You don't realize that there's a lot of wisdom behind this comedy. So Mikey, he uh, is down in the dumps. He doesn't want to do anything. His friends, of course, all these, like the Barney Stinson types, all the, all his buddies, they go out at night. They, they have, have this ritual. They play video hockey and, and until 10, and they go out and party, and they go to these clubs. So Mikey doesn't want to do any of that. He's been down in the dumps. So his buddy, his uh, number two man here, uh, Trent, who is played by Vince Vaughn, he's nicknamed Double Down, Trent decides what we're going to do is we're going to cheer up Mikey is I'm going to take him out to Vegas. This will be, this is what we do. So there's a very iconic and hilarious scene. One of the absolute standout scenes in the movie happens right at the very start where Trent decides we're going to go to Vegas. And they just take off in the middle of the night and it, it's a, it's a wonderful transition. I always remember this when I watched this movie that Mikey's like, no, we're not going. No, absolutely not. I'm not going to Vegas. And then they cut to the car and Mikey's like, all right, well, I'm only betting $100. <laughs> and it's just a wonderful scene. And now we go into this really iconic scene. One of the most famous scenes of any movie is in the late 90s, this Vegas scene. Yeah. So they, they come to the table and they're, they're wearing their suits because, you know, you wear your suits and, and uh, they give you stuff because it doesn't look like you need the stuff. And uh, But they walk into this old school casino because... Uh, you know that's that's where a couple of guys like them can uh, can get can get some stuff from uh, free, and so they they get to the table and and they're immediately they've they've stepped to the wrong uh, the wrong table because the he he counts all this money out. And it's a real awkward scene. Mikey's the most awkward guy ever and starts counting his money down. And I love the interaction with the dealer. He gets the chips. He gets three chips. He puts down three hundred dollars and all these you know twenty dollar bills and just gets three chips back and. He gets a hand, and I don't know, uh, Mario, if you're a, a card player at all or blackjack player, but no. he 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 gets a hand where 
uh, he bets his hundred dollars and then he has to double down because the the hand that he has there uh, versus the dealer's hand, he's got to put another hundred dollars on here. And this is probably you know two weeks or a month of his salary who, or you know, money that he's making, and he's got it all on one hand. And I've I've not been there in terms of a month of a salary, but I've had two hundred dollars on the table before, and my you know sphincter is watertight because it's you know I, I'm like I, I'm not a two hundred dollar guy and. He does it right, and uh, uh, things look great, things look great, and then boom, he loses $200 just like that. The comedy in this scene, and this is why I keep calling, going back to the fact that my, my wife loves this movie, that, that Mikey's so pathetic, is that Mikey and, and Trent are, are coming into this casino, and they're talking like big shots. They have suits on, and like, we're going to be up three, honey, by the first hour, and, and Vince Vaughn's going, yeah, we're going to get the Rain Man suite. We're going to win so much money, they're going to put us in the Rain Man suite. And within five minutes in the casino, they've they've gone to the wrong place, like, for people who have never been to Vegas, there's there's like the hip young version of Vegas and then the old pathetic sad version of Vegas. And that's just hilarious if you've been there that they wander in one of these old probably casinos, I would assume downtown somewhere where just the old 80 and up uh, crowd gathers. And so it's just these two young guys thinking they're big shots walking to the casino and they end up in the old version. And then Mikey doesn't know how to change the money with the dealer. And he accidentally ends up at the $100 table and, and the dealer's like... Perhaps you gentlemen would be more comfortable at our $1 table or something like that. It's, again, it's just one cringe moment after another at the start of this movie. And this, this, this Vegas scene is just great. And then they end up at the, uh, at the, like the, what is it, the $1 table, the 50 cent, I have no idea what it is, the cheap old person table. And like they have to sit there and watch this old grandma play the worst hand of blackjack possible where she's hitting on like 17 and she still ends up winning. And she's like, oh, I won my hand. And they're like sitting there all humiliated because this is the table they're at. And I believe I read in the trivia that's actually uh, Vince, uh, John Favreau's grandmother playing that role. So I appreciate they threw her a bone and let her win a hand on uh, on blackjack there. Yeah, that's his uh, his grandma, like you said. And actually, the the guy at the rich table was Vince Vaughn's dad. Um, so that, that that is pretty cool. And it's just you know I can hear that the the grandma's voice. You know uh, when they came down here to get to get free stuff, and the pit boss comes over and starts uh, saying, "You would you like to have some breakfast?" And uh, you know the old lady's like, "Oh, you'll fix me up. Oh, you'll fix me up." And just the looks that that uh, they you know Trent gives uh, or Mikey gives Trent and, and whatever, and they're they're at with this old grandma this big biker and this skanky looking woman in a red dress and it's like you guys this is where you belong <laughs> yeah and again i'm not a gambler at all i've maybe done blackjack twice in my life and uh both times i it was a very similar experience to this i have no idea how the cashing out system works i look like a moron i quickly escort myself out of there because i don't belong but i know george is a much more accomplished gambler so i know you have not had any such instances there. i've i've uh you know back when poker got really big uh uh you know world series of poker chris moneymaker and all that i got into poker quite a bit i uh i've been to vegas quite a few times uh played blackjack but unlike most gamblers money means something to me so i can't money needs to be nothing to you when you go to a, a table and it's supposed to be just a tool to make more money and i just i can't do it you know if i have two hundred dollars up there and even though that's not going to change my you know my bills will still get paid i'm still like if i lose that i'm like okay i i can't handle this did daddy ever get the rain man suite <laughs> no daddy daddy might have bought me a a, a a vegas hotel room because i lost my money but that's about it <laughs> Yeah, so so they they have a horrible attempt at gambling right off the bat. It's established that Trent is a big talker and Mikey is this huge schlub who doesn't really understand anything. 
And so Trent decides, well, we can't really gamble because Mikey's already lost all his money in the first five minutes. So they decide they're going to go and pick up a waitress. And this is where Trent, the, the best the best friend, really shines here, that that apparently Trent has all these rules, all these systems where how you just got to talk, baby. And, and again, Trent has this own little lingo. And I'm not really doing justice to him just describing it, where he's like, uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to pick up a baby. We're going to pick up a beautiful brunette baby, daddy, and, and daddy's going to show you how to do it, and it's going to be money. And, and so Trent basically says, the key to women is you don't really have to listen. You just have to pretend that you're listening, that they're just going to talk, and you just have to nod your head, and they'll think you're the most sympathetic listener ever. And he goes, watch this. We're going to hook up with some beautiful babies. And, and Mikey's like, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. I'm not going hit hit hit, to pick up any girls tonight. And sure enough, Trent goes and, and completely condescends to a waitress and promises her, her like a shiny new nickel if she gets him a scotch or something. And sure enough, they end up hooking up with her. And, and Mikey's amazed. He's like, how the hell did you hook up with that, with that waitress? And Trent is like, well, that's just how you do it, Daddy. It's all about confidence. It, yeah, it's actually a shiny 50-cent piece. You, you shortchanged uh, uh, Trent there. and Yeah, so they meet these these two girls, and or they meet the one girl, and they say, oh, meet us at this bar, and uh, the other girl shows up, and uh, this is actually one of my, uh, my favorite uh, bad jokes in it, when the other girl shows up, and she works at uh, uh, MGM or one of the other casinos, and she's dressed like uh, Dorothy from from uh, Wizard of Oz. And uh, the friend introduces this this new one and says, "Oh yeah, I work here, and uh, I'm a Dorothy." And and Mikey, there's there's a little pause, and Mikey goes, "Well, we're not in Kansas anymore." And just how the joke hangs there, I love it. It, it happens a, a, a couple times actually. The before the that joke, there was another one. They before they met the girls, they stopped at the diner at the casino to get something to eat. And Mikey, he has these ebbs and flows of getting down and then trying to 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 be cool again, and he gets shot back down. And um, this time, so the waitress comes to the table and he's looking at the the menu and it says, "I see here it says." Um, I can get breakfast anytime. Is that right? Waitress says yes. He goes, all right, well, I'd like eggs in the age of enlightenment. He, he waits for the reaction and she gives none. She just writes it down. Vince kind of, <laughs> or uh, Trent kind of gives him a, all right, all right, good shot. And um, the waitress leaves and he goes, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I would say something like that. Um, like some Vegas casino waitress is, is going to get a, a French philosophical reference. And, uh, He's like you know, trying, you know, baby, baby, it's cool, and and uh, he's like, all right, we we should uh, we should just leave, and the waitress comes back by, and and uh, Mikey says, excuse me, miss, uh, uh, and she says, hold on, Voltaire, <laughs> I I love that. If there's any scene in this movie that's representative of the type of story that we're telling, it's Mikey trying to hit on a waitress with an obscure French philosophy joke. Yeah, I. <laughs> I'm sure I've done equally as, as terrible things, and they've worked equally as terribly well. Yeah. So again, just one cringe moment after another as Mikey clearly doesn't really understand how to deal with women, how to... <laughs> yeah, again, it's, 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 it's theorized he's been dating this girl, Michelle, forever. She dumped him, and now he has no idea, which, again, would be if I ever got divorced or anything. Again, I've been with my wife since I was 18. I would have no concept how to talk to girls. I have no idea what the, how it would go. So... I'm very sympathetic to Mikey's story here, although Mikey's story is going to get, if this is possible, even more pathetic as we hook up with the two girls back in a trailer. Okay, so so Mikey and Trent have picked up these two girls from Vegas, these locals and these waitresses. They've taken them back to one of the girls' trailers, and they're all just, you know, getting ready to hook up, getting ready to uh, 
bed down for the night, as it were. And and Trent decides to go into this great story where, you know, he was an actor in Hollywood and he tells this really amazing audition story about how, you know, he he made a cameraman cry. He made a casting director cry. How It was such an amazing moment. And you can see the girls are just eating up his story. And it's a really great monologue. Again, Vince Vaughn got a lot of credit for this movie, as he should have. And this is the scene in particular that I think even I've read that uh, that John Favreau has said that this is the movie, that this is the scene that made Vince Vaughn a movie star. He got, he got, people just saw the dailies on this scene and he was so good in it, they just cast him for later stuff. So Vince Vaughn telling a story, charming these girls. And then we cut to Mikey, who's clearly supposed to follow this up with some amazing story to woo the girls of his own, on his own. And Mikey just comes out with, well, we all have stories. I love that line. I use that line all the time. Like the lulls in conversation. Well, we all have stories, and it, you know, it just it just hangs there, and um, you know that leads to the the girl saying, "Oh, uh, uh, I never gave you the tour." You know, setting up uh, her and and Trent to go to the bedroom. So they they go to the bedroom to do what they're gonna do, and um, Mikey starts talking to the girl, and it it seems uh, like something's gonna happen, and then. He can't help himself. He starts. He starts up with the the ex girlfriend, and um, you know she hasn't called. And and uh, it's great because they cut to Trent. Watch, you know, he opens the the bedroom door and peeks out there, and it looks like they're making out. But instead, she's she's comforting him. You know, I'm sure she'll call, and and blah blah blah. And he's, you know, you know, maybe I should call. Uh, and she goes, Yeah, you know what? Check, go check your messages, because that's what happened in the in the mid '90s. That's how you had to check your messages. You had to call your phone from wherever you were. And listen to it. So, uh, so Mike has to meekly uh, knock on the door uh, to the bedroom because uh, that's where the phone is. And 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 uh, instead of the door opening, a hand comes out with uh, with condoms, and <laughs> which I love. That was that was great. And uh, you know, Mikey, Mikey says, you know, I, I I gotta I gotta check my messages. And Trent, you know, you know, you can do that later. No, I gotta do it now. I gotta do it now. And he he goes in there, and um, Trent comes out, and he's you know. He's wearing nothing except uh, uh, a pillow, and, and the girl's wearing his jacket, and they sit down, and then the two girls start talking, and they, oh, my God, I can't believe the story, and, uh, you know, he's so sweet, and, and they're waiting for him and waiting for him to come out, and he comes out, and they're all just waiting, and, uh, and you know, Mikey just puts his head down. The two girls, oh, my God, oh, you know, and then the, the girl that was uh, hooking up with Trent's like, I'm going to make coffee, and he, she opens the window, and it's just, you can see Trent, because he's in the background, and the, just, if you watch him in that scene, it's just awesome. He's saying nothing, but it's just like, ah, you know, I was I was minutes away from getting down with some uh, uh, casino hostess, and, and, and now I'm, you know, sitting here half naked. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> Just it's hard it's hard to overstate just how awkward and cringy this scene is and it's again if you like the office this is your type of humor where yeah literally Trent has picked up two girls for his buddy he's gonna take his take Mikey's mind off his girlfriend and instead of hooking up Mikey just starts pouring out his guts to the new girl who he's supposed to be sleeping with and then by the end of the night nobody's hooked up with anyone just the two girls are so sympathetic and hugging Mikey because he's such a a sad little sack of a man. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's awesome, and and what's great is in in any other movie this would probably be the saddest thing ever, but you know it's it's not even close. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm surprised we're mentioning it. Mikey's gonna top this in spades later. Absolutely. Okay, so so Trent's attempt to to cheer up Mikey has failed. Mikey has like, clearly has not gotten over his girlfriend. So. They're going back to, to Los Angeles, and Trent's still trying to convince Mikey, you know, you're so money, baby, you don't even know it. Like, you're so money, and that's 
is that's a constantly repeated phrase how they're trying to cheer up Mikey like you have good things in your life you don't get it but you you sabotage yourself and this will be a thing over and over as Mikey <laughs> repeatedly attempts to meet girls and fail yeah so when they it's another great scene when they stop on the side of the road and uh yeah as you're saying they're they're cheering up uh you know again Trent's cheering up Mikey and and finally Mikey sees it and you know uh, um what's great about the scene is that uh the story behind the story is that you need to to get permits to film and they didn't have a permit <laughs> they just stop on the side of you know whatever I the the 75 or whatever 15. the hell you guys call it it's out the there 15. the 15 thank you okay uh <laughs> Um, oh, what's the, what's the joke? What's the, the Californians, uh, you take Trevor? the 15 to the 10 and you go West and you get out of here. Yeah. What's, uh, Travis, what's, I was watching it before we talked the Bill Hader. Devin, what are you Devin. doing here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, um, so yeah, they didn't have a permit and, uh, highway patrolman comes by and, and says, uh, you know, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're filming. Uh, do you have a permit? Uh, uh yeah we we got a permit it's it's back at the the place you want me you want us to you know have our guy come back and, and whatever no nah, no nah, don't worry about it he leaves and then you know so they're filming they're filming a little while later two other state uh troopers come by and they try to run the same ruse and it and it doesn't work so they're packing up but they're still filming so they're like surreptitiously filming and that's how how tight of a budget they were it's like we can't risk not having this shot. We have to do this. We have to risk getting arrested. And, uh, so, you know, they're, they've got guys, uh, uh, packing up and right out offside the, uh, off the scene. There's two highway patrolmen just standing there, like watching people. And it was pretty, it's a pretty cool story. Yeah. This whole movie is really just a glorified home movie. That's what's so awesome about it. Yeah. They, they, it was a shoestring budget and, and, and it was like half a shoestring. <laughs> Okay, so we get back to Los Angeles, and now uh, now we get back into the nightlife. This is where the nightlife, this is what this people really remember about this movie, is that Mikey's back with his buddies, and they're like, we're going to cheer you up tonight, we're all going to go out, and this is where we get we meet their ritual. we introduced to their ritual of everyone gathers, they have a friend named Sue, who's apparently named after the Johnny Cash song, his name is a boy named Sue, and they all gather at his house every night, and they play NHL 94 video hockey, and then they go out to hit the clubs and pick up some beautiful babies. And there's a my personal favorite scene. There's two scenes that I love about this movie. The answering machine scene, which we'll get to. But the NHL 94 scene, just near and dear to my heart. And it's one of these that always jumps out. Why don't you explain what happens to poor Wayne Gretzky in this NHL scene, George? Yeah, this is this is an awesome scene. I grew up playing hockey on uh, Sega Genesis. I think that's what they were playing on. And uh, I grew up in Chicago. And uh, so it was good to see the Blackhawks uh, on the screen, and which makes sense because Vince Vaughn grew up in Chicago. He's a, I'm sure he's a Blackhawks fan. And um, Sue's wearing his Kings jersey. You can tell he's, you know, the super fan number 99, as Trent calls him. And uh, it's all about talking shit during video games. And, and, and this was college. This is what we would do all the time. We played Mortal Kombat all the time and, and uh, um, you know, talk shit to each other. And, and you know, you'd lose. And, and I was a much angrier man back then. I may or may not have broken some controllers uh and had to bury them uh in the in the backyard so so they're playing and, and trent's saying you know uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make wayne wayne gretzky's head bleed because in, in this game like as mikey says you know they took fighting out of the game oh why did they take fighting out of the game i think kids were hitting each other or something dude and um uh but you can make people's head bleed so uh trent's whole goal is to to make gretzky's head bleed 
so they're playing, they're playing, and a uh, doorbell rings, and um, a uh, a guy comes to the door, and so they're dealing with that. And while they're dealing with that, they pause the game, and you see this look at uh, Trent get, looks up at, at Sue, and he's like, "Oh, oh, now's the time," and he he unpauses the game. And he, uh, he, uh, you see the screen and, and, uh, Gretzky comes around and he takes him out and, and, uh, knocks him out and he's on the floor and his, his legs are going and he's bleeding and, and, uh, look, look, Mikey, uh, little, look at, uh, Wayne Gretzky's head's bleeding. Uh, look at his little legs. And, uh, Sue just goes nuts. And, uh, you know, they start fighting and, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I, it's sad to say that I may have been picked up by one of my friends because I was, uh, I got a little ornery, and he had to put me in my place. <laughs> yeah, my roommates did the same thing. We always played video hockey, NHL 94, 95. This is so representative of what guys would have done at the time, just sit around and play hockey and talk crap to each other. And it's hilarious when I watch this movie because the thing is that Wayne Gretzky, for those who don't know sports, was a big Los Angeles icon at the time. He had just come to L.A. He was like the biggest hockey player in the world. So it was the biggest thing in the world that he was a celebrity in Los Angeles. And any time you would play the L.A. Kings in hockey, you would just try to pummel the shit out of Wayne Gretzky because that was the goal because he was like this wimpy little dude in the video game. Like he couldn't shoot. All he could do was assist. So you just try to pound the crap out of him. And that's why I laugh so hard when I watch the scene because everybody I knew who played NHL 94 and 95 would do the exact same thing. You always try to just it was always beat on Wayne Gretzky. It was like an episode of Deliverance out there. Everyone going after Gretzky as hard as they could. So I love to see <laughs> yeah. it, it. It was captured on film in a movie. Yeah, which actually, that took forever for them. It actually almost uh, uh, torpedoed that scene because the the production only had like so many left, hours left of the camera and nobody could get Wayne Gretzky's head to bleed. And they ended up having to call uh, Vince Vaughn at like 2 in the morning to, to go uh, uh, do it. And he was finally able to do it because, you know, he's Trent and Trent does everything right. So at this point, we've had really three scenes in this movie, and all three of them were especially iconic scenes among 90s comedies. You got the Vegas scene, you got Mikey not being able to hit on the girls in the trailer, and you got the Wayne Gretzky scene. So this movie is off to a fantastic start, because all of these are absolutely hilarious scenes that I, I, would, I would challenge anyone who likes comedy movies. You have to see these three scenes, how funny they are. Yeah, which leads us to uh, uh, an iconic scene, I guess, in a in a different way because it's an iconic scene that was ripped off mm -hmm. from another iconic movie, which uh, the Reservoir Dogs, uh, the the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs, when they're all sitting there at the, the diner uh, talking talking about various stuff, and it's uh, I, I'm not a movie guy i don't know the, the camera's just going around the table to the different heads and they're talking about that scene as they're actually filming the scene that way and it's just it's hilarious it's like meta or something yeah this is one of those ballsy things why i love the, that john favreau wrote this movie so the scene here is all these buddies sitting around the table and they're talking about movies they're talking about scorsese oh scorsese steals stuff from everybody else and and tarantino steals stuff from everybody else and as they're saying this, now they will literally rip off a scene from Tarantino right after. And in fact, that was a whole Reservoir Dog scene right there, them just sitting around the table. So it's like this first-time punk kid scriptwriter writes a scene where he and his buddies accuse Tarantino of ripping off things while they are literally ripping off the Tarantino scene as they're doing it, which is fantastic. And we get this slow-motion Reservoir Dog shot of them all going to a party. And it's it's so ballsy that he would have done something like that in his script he wrote. And it's just it's, it's fantastic if you get that joke. You know, you, you probably at the beginning, or you probably could look at this group of guys and think it's like, 
the Rat Pack, you know, with the, you probably could put, I don't know the Rat Pack well enough, but, you know, obviously Trent is Frank Sinatra, chairman of the board, and, uh, you know, obviously the black guy, Sammy Davis Jr., and you could probably put, you know, the other guy somewhere in there, but then after they leave and you've got the, the other iconic Reservoir Dogs shot where they're all walking in slow motion outside of the diner, uh, or, you know, shortly after when they're going to a party, they all have their own cars. Um, there's probably, you know, there's a pink car. Uh, uh, there's probably some sort of Reservoir Dogs joker or, or reference there, too. So it's it's really a smart movie. <laughs> yeah, this is one of my wife's favorite things about this movie. She always remembers this. Now, after they all got to eat, they're all heading up to Los Angeles into the hills to attend a party. And it's hilarious because they all take their own cars. Like, there's no carpooling or anything. So it's just an endless shot of the five of them caravanning, and they're all like five feet in front of one another. Like the cars are just, it's like a funeral procession of them going up to the hill, and then later they'll be coming down the hill, and everybody has their own car, and they all have the club, which was the big, uh, the big car, uh, car security measure at the time, the club. So they all lock on their clubs, and it's just, it's so cute, these guys that are all big talkers and big party guys, but they all, it's such an LA thing that everybody has their own car out here. Nobody carpools, nobody walks, nobody does public transportation. It's just such a, a unique little thing to Los Angeles that they throw in the movie here, and it's you kind of have to live here to know that. Yeah, and, you know, if you think about it, all, all these guys are all about hooking up. It makes sense. That's why they all have their own cars. That's right. The, uh, the so endless can, dreamers. Exactly. They all can leave if, if they hook up with somebody. And in that scene where, where you know, the music, the, the, the music is queued up so perfectly, they all stop, and then they all put the club on. It's, it's outstanding. And, and I'm glad you brought up the club because when I was watching the movie this time, I'm like, what the hell ever happened to the club? Yeah, it's got to be still it, out there. It just disappeared. So, it, of course, it made me a Google search because I'm a trivia guy, and I'm like, you know, I did all this research that not, you know, 95% of it I'm not going to talk about here. But um, I looked up whatever happened to the club, and I found this thing that said like the club actually thieves loved it because um, they would break into a car and they needed something to break the column to uh, so they could uh, drive the car, and they didn't want to be walking around town with you know some big long piece of metal. So they had a little hacksaw. They'd cut, you know, the little little part that went around the steering wheel. They'd cut that off, and then they had a big piece of metal that they could break the column. So it actually helped them break break in the the car. Wow! F- another fun fact from George. I did not know that. Exactly. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> okay. So we get to the party, and this is again just these these the cringy scenes, and just obviously uh, John Favreau wrote the script around about stuff he knew because this scene is just could only have been written by someone who's been to many Los Angeles parties before, and of course, Mr. Party here, I've been to many of them, so I can back this up, but uh yeah, so uh, they go up to this 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 uh house up in the l a hills and it's this big old fancy l a party, and immediately we get a shot of Mikey going up to a girl to try to hit on her. And she just won't even look at him. And this is such an L.A. thing that I've, in my limited experience with uh, L.A. girls and wannabe models, I've seen this behavior before where that's kind of what these uh, wannabe stars will do at parties and where they just kind of look over you. They don't, if, even if you're talking to them, they're not really looking at you. They're kind of looking at who's more famous in the room that they should be hooking up with or who you should be talking to. So Mikey's talking to this girl. She has no interest in him. And she just kind of says, what car do you drive or what do you drive? And he says, Cavalier. And she just immediately ignores him and won't not respond to anything he says the rest of the conversation because she goes back to her friend. And again, that's such a little painful L.A. moment. And I've, I've seen that. At, I've been to some of these reality TV events with some of these reality alums. And I've, I've seen that behavior from people before. It's not uncommon. Anyone specific who you've seen that behavior from? I will not name names. 
<laughs> so you know it's awesome the, the the party you said this la party what's cool about this and it goes uh, back to the fact that this was a shoestring budget this was a real la party this was like a friend of a friend of theirs that they 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 brought in these cameras and people didn't know what the hell was going on and they just filmed at it and um you know some of the other cool obscure here's another george fact um, the people who rented that house were the guys who ended up being the producers of uh, the Twilight movies. <laughs> oh, good. And uh, one of the people who were at the party, I believe Adam Scott, the, the comedian who uh, ended up on Parks and Rec, I think he was there. Uh-huh. I don't know if he was actually shown on screen, but who was shown on screen. Um, I know you have a lot of reality TV uh, um, uh, fans who, who listen to this. I actually have a reality TV reference. One of the people that they show there is Mike White. Who a lot of people would know. He became a writer. He wrote, um, uh, I think, School of Rock and uh, yes. Nacho Libre and Chuck and Buck, which I don't know what that is, but I guess it was critically acclaimed. I love Chuck but, and Buck. That's a great movie. I, you know, that I only watch uh, uh, bad movies apparently in, in, in swingers. Anyway, um, he's he's shown there. He was on not one but two seasons of The Amazing Race with his dad. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. Yeah, Mike White, the very milky-looking, albino-looking dude, Mike White, who is, yeah, he's... People may also know him from School of Rock, where he plays uh, Jack Black's buddy, uh, Ned Schneebly, the original teacher, who I'm not a satanic sex god anymore. That guy. Absolutely, which I think should be a staff pick at uh, some point, because that's one of my favorite movies as well. Yeah, School of Rock is amazing. We'll talk about that at some point. That's one of my favorites of that era. Okay, so we go to this bar, and the guys try to hit on these girls, and Trent ends up hitting on this big redhead, this tall, tall redhead girl, and he kind of pulls a dick move here where he gets her phone number, he goes over there and flirts with her, and he just does this little thing where he nods his head and pretends to listen. She gives him his phone number, her phone number, and then as Trent is walking back, he rips up the phone number in front of, well, she can't see it, but just to his friends, he, like, rips it up, and they're like, why'd you do that? You just work so hard on getting that phone number, and Trent's like, I can't roll with that baby. She's business class. She's got a big butt. Which is the oddest little insult, but it's that's the kind of mentality that uh, Trent slash Barney Stinson has here. The the big butt girl, I can't go with home with her tonight. That's not going to happen. But again, this is you'll see the mentality here with Trent. Trent never really uh, advances beyond the age of about a sixteen year old kid at any point in this movie. And it's great. <laughs> and it's great. I forgot to leave. I left off that part. And it's great. Yeah, not... and, and we had a uh, Tina Yothers reference in that scene as well. So that's always a plus. <laughs> Tina Yothers. Okay, so this big party in the hills has been a flop, so they go down uh, go down the hill, they caravan their five little cars back down into downtown L.A. where they are, uh, yeah, downtown L.A. where they're going to go to, uh, this is the Dresden, this is a apparently a, a very famous bar, again, I'm hardly the best person to talk about this, but apparently this is a very famous bar in L.A. where they have uh, dancing and live music and stuff, so the guys get down there, and Mikey's going to get a second chance at picking up a girl tonight. He failed with the first girl because he didn't drive the proper type of uh, car. And now he's going to meet a girl named Nikki at the bar. And so all the guys are sitting around, and, and Mikey is up there trying his best to hit on another girl, and they see him, and, and Trent's like, oh, my God, it's on. Look, Mikey's actually talking to a girl. So this is going to be the setup, which will lead to the most painful scene I think I have ever seen in the movie, The Answering Machine. The, the, you, you're skipping over a, a, a great part, which is the the bunny, in in the claws. Oh yeah, the bunny. Okay, give me the bunny quote. Yeah, so they're 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 uh, Sue and Trent are trying to pump up Mikey, and uh, a, a, the joke I kind of said earlier, the the quote I said earlier about um, 
you know, you're you're not the guy in the PG thirteen movie that you, people are really hoping it happens for. You're the guy in the R rated movie that uh, you're not quite sure if you like him or not. And uh, they're they're pumping him up, and they say, you know what, Mikey, you're a bear. You got these claws and these fangs, and you're just she's just a little bunny, and she's a little innocent, and and um she's defenseless, and and you're you've got these claws and these fangs, and you're just you're just batting around the bunny, you know, and you you've got these claws, and you don't know what to do with them, you know, you got to be the bear, and and you know, and it's Sue is right there with him, and and and, and just egging him on, and it's great, he's this this pep talk, and then then he talks to this girl, and um Brooke Langton, by the way, he, uh, you you probably know from the replacements because she was a cheerleader and. That's she was hot. Um, so Mikey gets this girl's number. He finally he's finally able to do it. He gets this girl's number and uh, it, it actually happens. And, uh, you know, it's another L.A. moment. He comes back to the table and the guys, the first thing they ask, you know, oh, what's the area code? Yeah. You know, which, you know, I don't live in L.A., but I'm guessing that's a thing. And it's like, is it 818? No, 312. Oh, OK. You know, I don't know what that means, but it meant something to them. Okay, I'll do so, little, I'll uh, do my little Los Angeles insider knowledge here. Yeah, they come back and they ask what her uh, her area code is, and this is back when you know L A has it has far more area codes now. But at the time, you wanted to have a three one zero area code because that means you live in Los Angeles, or even better, a three two three, which means you live in Beverly Hills. Those are the big two. So they uh, they ask what's her area code eight one eight, which I think at the time was probably up in the valley somewhere. And Mikey's like, no, she's three one zero, and they're like, nice. <laughs> That's again just a little L A thing you'd know. Which leads us again, and I'm going to keep saying this because there's so many, to me at least, iconic scenes, them talking about how long he should wait to call her. Yeah. And uh, he says, all right, so, uh, you know, uh, when should I call her? And they say, uh, two days. And say, okay, I'll call her tomorrow. No, tomorrow, then a day. Oh, okay. Well, how long do you guys wait to call yours? And, uh, you know, you know, well, we usually wait three days. Oh, okay. And then uh, they had both gotten numbers earlier uh, that night, Sue and, and, and Trent, and and eventually, Mikey asks him, so when are you actually going to call the girls you met tonight? And uh, they both simultaneously say, six days. And it's it's just it's just perfect. Yeah, my favorite little line in that whole exchange, again, all the guys are just talking about how long to wait before you call a girl back, is that uh, Trent says, two days is industry standard. That's the line that I, I like right there. Industry standard, two days. Although, exactly. yeah, Trent gives the line here that if, if you call too soon, you might scare off a beautiful baby who's ready to party. And there's probably some logic behind that. Again, I have, I have never in my life called a stranger for a date, so I have no idea how this works. But I would assume there's some logic there for people who don't play this game that you don't want to appear to be too desperate. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now we Mikey's got the digits. He's met his first girl he's met in a long time. He's got a phone number. His friend, one of his friends, Sue, has warned him, you know, you're going to F it up. Don't screw us up, Mikey. And we go back to Mikey's house. And again, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. If You should watch this movie just for this scene alone. It's so genius. And it's so cringy and horrible where Mikey is going to find a way to screw up the fact that he got this girl's phone number. Yeah, and he screws it up in like a matter of hours, which is the most impressive part about it. He he gets home from the bar, and it's 2.32 in the morning. He looks – he sits on his couch. He looks at the number, uh, looks at the clock, and uh, you know, all right. He gets up, and he, he picks up his phone. He picks up the phone. He dials the number, and he gets our machine. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. That's going to be echoing through your mind. It's almost like the, the – from from Friday the 13th or something because it just becomes iconic like oh my god I'm gonna hear it again so Mikey gives her a call and says hey uh you know I, I knew you were still at the bar um you know it was nice to meet you uh, I'll call you uh tomorrow or you should call me tomorrow or in two days 
Uh, my number, you know, he starts to go through his number and it beeps when he's in the middle of it, which I've had this happen to me before. And I'm like, oh, God. It cuts it off. Cuts which, off his number. Yeah, cuts off his number. So he calls again. Hey, this is Mike again. Sounded like your machine cut off. Anyway, sorry I called you so late. So my number is beep. Oh, God. So he <laughs> dials it again. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. Hey, I just want to leave my number. I didn't want you to think I was weird or Oh, and you just see his face. Oh, or desperate. That's know, the other line. Or desperate or whatever. We should hang out because it's nice. No expectations. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye. And he hangs up and he kind of walks away. And there's a bigger pause here. And then he goes back to the phone. He dials it again. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. I just got out of a six-year relationship. You're like, oh, no, Mikey. <laughs> he he, autom- he just goes right back to it just like in the in the trailer with the girls from in, in Vegas. You know that's that should explain why I'm being so weird. And wanted you to know it's not me. It's 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 not you. It's me. I'm sorry. This is Mike. <laughs> I love that. This is Mike. Yeah. And then he dials again. This is call five. <laughs> Hi, Nikki. Could you just call me when you get in? I, I'm gonna be up for a while, and I'd just rather speak to you in person instead of trying to fit. Beep. And fuck. <laughs> So he dials again. Hi, this is Nikki. Leave a message. And at this point, it's just you're 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 watching this, and it's not even a a, a train wreck anymore, you know, or a car wreck. It's like you're watching them pick up a car wreck and then see another car plow through it. And uh, you know, Mike, you know, Nikki, this just isn't working out. He's gone through a whole relationship in like you know six minutes of phone calls. I think you're great. Maybe you should take some time off. It's not you. It's me. It's what I'm going through. It's it's, it's only been six months, and then boom, Nikki picks up. Oh, and Mike says, "Oh, Nikki, uh, did you just walk in, or were you listening?" You know, and Nikki's a response, of course, if if she's been listening to this at all. Don't ever call me again, <laughs> ever. And she hangs up, and Mikey's just, "Wow." He turns into Owen Wilson, right? Wow, I guess you're home. And oh, I I hope I I captured it because I I wrote down a lot of notes here. I hope I captured just how cringe-worthy it is in, in the I'm trying to think of other scenes in movies that that might be, you know, that aren't somebody stalking a, a, a you know, serial killer stalking somebody. It's just that uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, it's just one of those this is the scene in Swingers. Absolutely one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in a movie, and it will it will really just make you squirm in your seat if you care about Mikey at all. That he he finally has broken through. He got a phone number from a girl, and he you're supposed to wait industry standard two days before calling her back. He cannot do it. He calls her literally 20 minutes after he gets home at 2:30. He leaves six messages on her machine before deciding that he has to break up with her because it's not working out. And it's so, it's so amazing. And it's one of those that again. Even if you don't want to watch the rest of this movie, just watch The Answering Machine and Swingers. It's a thing of beauty. I'm going to tell you a story here, and you can cut it or keep it in because it is pretty funny. So two years ago, I went to San Francisco for a work thing. And as a Survivor fan, I I knew there was a couple of people who lived in Survivor. I was looking to meet. You know, I've met Yao Man before. Uh, I knew PG lived there. Um, for those of you who don't know, George is talking about a girl named P.G. Law, who was a two-time contestant on Survivor. Back to your story, George. These were people I hadn't met yet, so uh, I sent them messages on Facebook to say, hey, can we you know, meet up, whatever, and P.G., I saw she looked at it and never never picked it up. Um, so it was all right, whatever. You know, it, was, it was a long shot just to say, hey, can I you know, meet you somewhere, wherever, and get a picture? So 
I'm there with a coworker, this older woman, and um, when I get into town, I'm sitting on the train with her, and I'm showing her uh, uh, one of the dating apps, uh, Bumble. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is how it works. And, you know, and the first person that comes up on the dating app is PG. And I'm like, oh, this is bizarre. So I say, oh, yeah. So, you know, if you like the person, uh, you know, you, you swipe. And I accidentally swiped right on PG. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so now, you know, I send her this message beforehand on Facebook like, hey, can I get a picture with you? And now she's going to see that I liked her on, on the dating app. And I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. So I pull a Mikey and I sent her a message on Facebook like, Hey, PG, this is George. Um, you might see I, I accidentally swiped right on you on uh, this dating app, and I, I didn't mean to, and I was sitting with a you know, friend of mine, and I was showing her how dating app works, and, and this is George. It, it was uh, – I had my own Mikey moment, and surprisingly enough, I never heard from her. Okay, so Mikey has flopped at the worst phone relationship ever with a woman, and now he basically just sits at home for two days and is pathetic and sits there like Eeyore. He won't go out. And his friend Rob comes over and basically has to cheer him up. You know, you know, I, I know that things aren't work, working out for you, Mikey, but, you know, we're in Los Angeles. We've made it. You've got an agent. Like, you've had some, some gigs. He's like, I moved out here to L.A. because of you. You're the success story. So they're trying to cheer him up, and he's just not having it, and... And so that's the thing. Rob eventually kind of wins him over. Like, you have to look at all the good things you have in life, Mikey. Like, you, you might not be good with girls. Your girlfriend dumped you. But, like, you're out here living the dream. Like, you, it's sunny every day in Los Angeles. And it's actually a really nice speech. Livingston kind of gets a nice little scene here. And so Mikey is going to give it one more chance. He's going to get back in the game and go out with his bros tomorrow night. And they're going to do the hockey and party thing. So we are going to work our way towards a nice, a happy ending here for Mikey. Yeah, and you know, I've talked about the evolution of the characters. I don't know if you noticed, you know, up until now, uh Rob is is wearing his flannels. He's just come from from New York or whatever. This is the first scene when he shows up there. He's wearing his kind of swingers bowling shirt. So I was like, that that, you know, another nice touch that that Favreau puts in there that you see Rob actually becoming, you know, part of the LA crew. Hmm, that's nice. And I will say that Rob has a great line here kind of in the middle of the conversation or towards the end. He's like, "Whatever happened to that girl Nikki? It's been 2 days. You should call her now." <laughs> exactly and again the, the the running gags or running references throughout this uh you know as, as an improv comedian i love callbacks and audiences love callbacks and i just uh appreciate it so much how uh um one of the callbacks earlier in this in this scene is uh when mikey's talking about how terrible his life is rob says well did you get turned down for goofy and it'd become a joke throughout the movie because Rob comes to there to be an actor, comes to L.A. to be an actor, and it was off-Broadway and, and so on. And the only gig he's going to get is Goofy with Disney. And then, you know, Mikey's really down, and, and he comes he comes to cheer him up, and he goes, but did you get turned down for Goofy? And Mikey's like, oh, man, you got turned down. And he says, yeah, they went with someone with more theme park experience. I would have killed for that job. <laughs> you know, this is a job that he, he, he was, like, shitting on earlier, and now he gets turned down. He's like, I would have killed for that job. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so speaking of callbacks, now we're going out for the evening, and we're going to go into the tail half of the movie. This movie really isn't very long. It's only 90 minutes. I kind of forgot that. There's only like eight scenes in the movie. So it's time to go out the next night. Mikey, Mikey's been given his pep talk by Rob. He's getting ready to go out to party. So they all go over to Sue's house the next night to play video hockey, and they all do the beating up on Gretzky thing again. And at some point, uh, Trent says, hey, Mikey, you should call that girl Nikki. It's been two days. <laughs> 
which I love. And Cody, so tonight we're going to go to a different bar. Tonight they go out to the Derby. And uh, the Derby, a famous landmark in L.A., again, I'm just talking out of my ass. I've never been there. I have no idea. But I, I'm assuming it's a very real, very famous bar. And uh, there's a band there called Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, which apparently was the house band at this club when they filmed the movie. And it's funny because in the time that they filmed this movie here, starring showing this real band, this real swing band, and the, in the time they filmed it, and then a year and a half later the movie was released, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was so big they were playing the halftime at the Super Bowl. So it's like this movie absolutely just crested at the right time where all this stuff kind of became uh, popular in the popular culture. So yeah, so they're going to this club, the, the, the Derby, and there's a very famous shot here where I said earlier where uh, Favreau wrote a scene where they lifted a uh, iconic shot from uh, from Quentin Tarantino from Reservoir Dogs. Now he does it again. This ballsy little kid decides, now I'm going to lift a shot from Scorsese from Goodfellas, and it's the shot where they come in the back of the club, they walk through the kitchen, and it's like one long unbroken take as they walk all the way through the bowels of the building to get to the bar. And it's hilarious. Again, it's kind of a meta joke where they were talking about that earlier in the movie where, oh, Scorsese just lifts shots. He steals stuff from people, and they literally steal a shot from Goodfellas, which is, again, one of the many iconic moments in this movie. Yeah, it's 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 great. Again, the, you know, Trent's leading the way, and he's talking to everybody walking through. They're walking through the kitchen like they walk through the kitchen in uh, in Goodfellas, and you know, tells tells the the waiter, you know, keep the keep keep the waters coming, Raul. And uh, yeah, it's just awesome. And then the, they enter, and the, the music just pumps up, and they go to their table, and it's reserved just for them, because so you can tell that they've been here all, you know, they go here all the time, and uh, they sit at the table. And um, all the guys pile in, and this this is one of my favorite things. Uh, this whole bromance, this whole busting balls thing, that guys bust balls. The interaction here between Trent and Sue. This girl sits at the table, and it becomes like a contest with Trent to get Sue in trouble with this girl. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's Trent says to Sue. Oh, you never mentioned this one. And he's like, I totally mentioned her. And then, uh, you know, Sue will say something to the girl like, Oh, I, you know, I called you this day. And she goes, I was home all day. And, and, and Trent, you know, busting his balls again. You know, we were playing football that day. I don't remember you leaving long enough to make a phone call. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so what guys do to each other just to, just to get a rise. And it, it, it's pretty awesome. And it continues through the scene as it goes because mikey finally he's you know he's got no no involvement with these the girls that show up don't you know leave the table so he gets up and he goes to the bar and he's 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 probably at a pretty uh a low point uh again uh or you know somewhere in the middle and mike belly's up at the bar and uh to order a drink and there it is he sees across the bar heather graham heather graham and yeah it's one of these things, she was, she'd been kicking around Hollywood for a while. I'm trying to think, it was, she wasn't really a big deal yet. She'd been in License to Drive, one of the Corey, the Corey movies, which really is not any sort of stamp into the higher echelon of Hollywood. But she did a Boogie Nights. That was after this, correct? Yeah, that was after this. Uh, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit at the end about how this really was career makers for, for, for people. But yeah, this is why she got, uh, why, uh, America got to see her naked in, in Boogie Nights. So thank you, John Favreau. Thank you, John Favreau for giving us all this wonderful gift. She's a beautiful baby. <laughs> so Mikey sees Heather Graham across the bar. And what I love is he sees her and then somebody walks by and then he sees her as the bunny. 
You know, it's again, it's a callback to before. Mikey's now he's he's got confidence. He sees her as the bunny, and he's got his claws, and he, he has the courage to go across the bar and and see her. Ah, absolutely, that's right, the bunny. I forgot about the bunny. Yeah, so so yeah, he walks up to her and he uh, does his classic Mikey Mikeyism here, where she says her name and he decides to make a big, terrible joke on it, and it just hangs in the air where she says, "Oh, my name's Lorraine," and he's like, "Oh, like the quiche." Which is just a wonderful pickup line, and then it sits there, and she's like, yeah, I, I wonder how many hundreds of times I've heard that before. So again, it starts off all awkward, but now we've found that Mikey has met his equal, because Lorraine starts opening, starts pouring out her heart, and she has just moved to L.A. She was recently broke up with her boyfriend. She's still reeling from this, and ah, Mikey has finally found his peer, someone else who's dealing with this. Mario, you wouldn't know anything about people uh, hearing your name and uh, making a joke about it, would you? Oh, no, not so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. For people who don't know, I this is my real name, Mario Lanza. I'm named after a famous singer. There was a guy named Mario Lanza in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, somewhere in there. He's a big deal. He's got stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So don't think I didn't hear people make jokes about my name when I was growing up. And then in the 80s, we got Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong, which just made it endlessly more interesting to be named Mario. So, yeah, I, I have some sympathy for poor Lorraine here. So he he finds he finally finds this girl that that's very similar to him, and she says, uh, uh, "So what's the what's the good things about seeing being single?" He says, "Well, you can do whatever you want." And she says, "Like you know, if she finds a handsome man, uh, she can just ask ask him to dance. He can just see Mikey's uncomfortable." And uh, he goes, uh, "You know, if he want to." And she says, well, "You don't think he'd want to?" And, and she just basically makes him dance. She takes him out there, and it's it's slow music. It's like the end of a a, a song, and they're dancing. It's it's you know kind of like eighth grade dancing. End of a song, dips her, and then boom, the trumpets or whatever swing music uses starts going. Go, daddy-o. and he he wants to leave the the thing, and she just holds his hand, and she's like, you know, she won't let him leave, and they start off real slow, and then boom. Mikey, Mikey, just out of nowhere, he starts spinning her around and spinning her around, and it's just awesome because they keep cutting back and forth back to the table where Sue and Trent are watching, and it's like it's like watching two proud parents, and they they just realize, oh my god, like he's actually doing it, he's doing it, and they're watching him do all these moves, and 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 she's just totally into him. Yeah, <laughs> and this is where you learn this later that. For all the things that Mikey has done wrong in his many years of trying to pick up girls, trying to meet girls, trying to impress girls, the one thing that worked is that forever whipped Mikey was somehow talked into taking ballroom dance lessons back with by his old girlfriend. So he knows how to swing dance, and this impresses Lorraine so much that somehow Mikey is going to score, that Mikey and Lorraine dance. And I just wrote in my notes here that... You know, John Favreau is a very distinct-looking person with kind of an angular-shaped head and a large chin, and Heather Graham is a very beautiful woman, but kind of looks elfish. She kind of has a very distinct look where her eyes kind of bug out a little bit. And I just wrote in my notes, these two would have an incredibly odd-looking child. Like a half-ogre. <laughs> it's like if Shrek had a baby with Legolas. <laughs> yes. If Shrek and one of the elves in the forest hooked up, this is what would happen. <laughs> but again, that's, that's why my, my wife, again, I always point out that she likes this movie too, that it's not just for like dude bros. Like she loves, she goes, I love that 
Mikey does everything wrong in this movie. He has no idea how to hit on girls. He doesn't know how long to wait to call them. He doesn't condescend to them. He doesn't do the fake listening thing. He doesn't lie to women like Trent. And yet at the end of the movie, Mikey does it all wrong. He takes ballroom dance lessons, and he's the one who hooks up with the girl that's probably going to make a relationship out of out of everybody. So she's like, it's so cute that the guy who does everything wrong is the one that it kind of works out for in the end. And perhaps that's why I like the movie a lot, because it really, really gave me hope. <laughs> it gave George hope. My own little Mikey here on the podcast. Our little boy is going to grow up right on this podcast. They go out to the they yeah. go out to the, the the car and say goodnight and she's like I'll call you and and Mikey of course does everything wrong he's like no let's make plans now I don't want to wait let's make plans and so they make plans and then she's like well you know well, you're an actor you're doing well for yourself at least you're not goofy which is another little goofy callback you could tell he uses something from his stand up you know he's trying to come out there and be a stand up and an actor and uh, he says uh, uh, when I when I moved here from L A it seemed like they were giving sit- sitcoms to stand ups at the airport. And you could just hear the delivery, and he goes, I've been out here for six months, and all I could show for it is black lung. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's just like the, the – what's the comedian on SNL, the hacky comedian? Yeah, uh, Bruce Chandling, Kyle Mooney. Yeah, right? it's like Bruce Chandling. It's like all I have to show for it is black lung. Huh? Huh? <laughs> and she gives him the nod just like Trent gave the nod with the eggs eggs and the Age of Enlightenment earlier. Yeah. And then there's a cute little moment when she gets in the car. Of course she has – the club, just like everybody exactly. else. <laughs> so Lorraine drives off, and that's uh, and that's it. And then Trent and the buddies take Mikey to dinner that night. And, and Mikey's kind of happy with himself. He actually met a girl, and it felt good for the first time. He's actually maybe over his ex-girlfriend. And this is where Trent is just drunk and being obnoxious and still being his old Trent self. And he says, well, look at Mikey. Mikey's all happy. Look, our little baby's all... I will not do this quote justice because I've never figured out the exact word that he says. Is it groaned? Is it groans? Is it groads? What is the word he says here? Our little baby's all groads up. Let me help you here, Mario. Okay. I speak drunk. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you know, Mikey's playing it really cool. Like, I got this. I got this. And they're just looking at him like, oh, you know, <clears throat> oh, you know, because they're all drunk, but they, they see it. And uh, Mikey's like, you know, why do you always got to make a, a big production? And he says, Oh, you want to make a big production? And he he gets up on the table and he says, "Our little baby's all grown's up. He's all grown's up, and he's all grown's up, and he's all grown's up." And and you you know, Trent starts looking around. You can tell people at the at the diner are are pissed off at at, at him and whatever. And it's just it, it's just awesome, you know. And he he takes his shirt off and he's swinging it around. And you know, is this a big enough production for you? Because you're all grown's up. And he's he's looking around and he says, "Oh," and this is a quote I use all all, all the time. Uh, Oh, oh, I'm the asshole in the place. <laughs> he takes the rest of the shirt. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm, I would never eat here anyway. It's just quintessential Vince Vaughn. It's like this, it, he introduced, you know, Trent in this movie and, and he became Trent. And that's all we could see him as, uh, wedding crashers and, uh, old school. He's still the same character. And when he tries to do the other character, it, it's just like, no, give me, give me Trent. Yeah. I've heard some criticism that Vince Vaughn, you know, he burst onto the scene, played this amazing character, Double Down Trent, and then I've heard criticism that, you know, he's been phoning in every role since then, and it, there's there's kind of some truth to that. I've never really liked him in any other movie, but as Trent, he's so perfect, and I will say that I actually got to meet my, my co-host here, George, a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago in Daytona, and we went out to dinner, and it did end very similar to the scene with George standing on the table saying, oh, I'm the asshole, and swinging his shirt around, so George knows of what he speaks. Yeah, I am the asshole. <laughs> Sometimes I'm Mikey, but you know, I got I brought you here 
so you could be my Mikey. So I wasn't the pitiful one. Yeah, compared to most guys, I would definitely be the Mikey. So I'm glad I could elevate you a little, and you could be, if not the Trent, maybe even the black guy. You could be him if we. I don't even know his name. <laughs> yeah, I, we we left a club in Daytona, and I said, ah, this place is dead anyway. <laughs> Damn, this shit is whack. <laughs> Okay, so we go back to Mikey's house, and Mikey has successfully picked up a girl, and he's it's funny because it's exactly the same as the answering machine scene. He goes home, it's 2.30 a.m., and he's got that instinct, he wants to call her, and he's not going to do it. He, he fights every bone in his body not to call her. He puts her little card on his answering machine, he puts two little X's on his calendar, it's very cute, so he knows to wait two days. And this is the greatest thing, is that... What happens is she breaks the rule and she calls him the next day. And that's what I love so much about this movie. The uh, next day, Mikey gets a call, surprise, out of nowhere from his girlfriend who dumped him six months ago. It's the first time they've talked. And she's talking and they're just having a conversation. And it's one of these, like like uh, Rob warned him earlier in the movie, you know, the girl's going to want to get back to you together. She's going to miss you and you're, it's, it'll be down the road. But What's happened is, as he's talking to her, Lorraine, the new girl he met at the bar last night, calls. And in the parlance of uh, Seinfeld, they have a call-waiting showdown where Mikey decides to pick Lorraine over the girl he's been pining over for six months. He says, all right, well, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. And he just goes and talks to Lorraine, who, again, who did not wait two days to call him. She wanted so badly to see Mikey again, she called him. And it's a very sweet moment. It's just a neat little scene. And again, this is my wife always says, this is such a cute movie. It's just adorable that Mikey despite breaking every rule, somehow ends up the good guy in the end. Yeah, it's it's really, it's a great scene because Mikey gets up and it's like Mikey does have it. He puts, he, as you said, he puts the card there. He's ready. He's, he, he's, he's a man now. And then the call comes in and when that voice comes on there and it's his ex-girlfriend, you just see, you know, Michelle. And it's just like, oh no, it's happening to him again. It, 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 no, Mikey, no. And you're listening to the conversation. And, and just like Rob said, you know, they don't come back until you're actually over them. And then the, the, the call waiting comes on and Lorraine comes on and, you know, he says, Oh, ho- hold on. And he goes back and he tells, he tells the other one, Hey, I got to take this call. And you're like, Oh my God, Mikey's, Mikey wins. Mikey, Mikey's going to do it. Yeah. And, uh, the best part is that. He says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll have to call you back. And he, he, he says, oh, okay, I'll call you back. And as he's clicking over, you hear uh, uh, the girl that he's been pining over for six months say, I love – and he cuts it off. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, Mikey wins. He wins. Oh, my God. And then, and then Lorraine comes on, and she's talking the same stuff that all the guys he's been talking to this whole movie. Ah, oh, you know, I shouldn't have called you this early. My girlfriends were saying this. And uh, I wanted, I want you to go to this thing. Uh, um, it's at, it's at the room. It's Sinatra's birthday. And it's one of those Hollywood clubs. Like there's no sign. And it's just all the same references from him with his guy pals that Lorraine and her girl pals, Alan. It's, it's on. It's on. You know, I, I'm like Trent and Sue in that booth going, you know, like ready to cry. Like it's on. It's on. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's to continue the uh, Seinfeldism. Not only did uh, did uh, Lorraine win the call waiting showdown, but Mikey had now has hand in the relationship. He he controls the breakup. He has hands. So there you go. Two Seinfeld references in one scene. He has hand, and he's no longer going to need it. That's perhaps. Right. And so we end in a scene, uh, let's, it's the next day, or maybe later that day, they're in a bar, it's Trent and Mikey, and, you know, Mikey's got a strange confidence about him, he's, he's, it's gonna work out, he's kind of forgotten about his girlfriend, and Trent is even shocked, he's like, wait, wait, Michelle called you and you hung up on her, and Mikey's like, yeah, I never called her back, never crossed my mind, and Trent's like, wow, and so, 
Mikey is kind of matured. He's the one character that's matured and grown in this movie. And we get this fantastic scene at the end where, as Mikey's talking, Trent is distracted because there's this woman over Mikey's shoulder that he thinks is uh, flirting with him. She's making little hand gestures. And Trent is making little hand gestures back. And it's just, it's clear that Trent has not matured. And he's probably not going to mature anytime soon. And then, you know, Trent's all confident. Yeah, she's playing games. She's a, she's a wild cat. She's going to come over here. And then it turns out the woman has been doing hand signals to a baby in the booth and didn't even notice Trent. So she walks out with the baby. Trent is all humiliated. And really, that's the last scene in the movie where it's the one time in the entire movie Trent trying to flirt with a girl didn't work out. It failed. And Mikey, Mikey's kind of the man by the end. He's the one that wins. And Mikey's the winner. And really, that's the story of the movie. The one guy who should not have won ends up with a happy ending. And it's very sweet. Exactly. It, it, you know, I said earlier about evolution, and Mikey's finally in this in this area. And I'm going to make a reference that's going to appeal to all your uh, reality TV f- fans and say Mikey's got this smile on his face. He's got this smirk, like Phil Mickelson gets when he's in the zone at the, at the Masters, and it's just like it's this stupid grin. Like, why are you grinning? You know, he's just he has he's just sees it all. And Trent. You know, Trent has been this this all-powerful person who can do no wrong, and it's like the Wizard of Oz. The curtain gets drawn back, and you see, you know what? Uh, Trent is just like anyone else. You know, he's he's not perfect, and he's gonna do stupid shit like Mikey's been doing all movie, and and it's just it, it's good to see. And in that, in reading all my stuff, this was actually a tacked-on scene to the movie. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to just end with. Uh, the previous scene with him, you know, Lorraine calling and whatever, and they the the directors realize, you know, this isn't really a movie about Mikey getting over the girl and finding a new girl. It's the relationship between Mikey and and Trent. Mm-hmm. And this scene, I I care more about this. I care more about Mikey and Trent. And you just see like, hey, Mikey's gonna be okay and. Trent's not perfect. And you can just see this future with Trent doing video hockey with his buddies going out and getting superficial relationships and breaking up with girls for the probably for the many, many years. And Mikey's the one guy who's kind of grown up here. Our little baby's all grown up. He's all grown up, and, and, and Trent is going to be masturbating to Anne Heche through a people. <laughs> wow. You, that was a fantastic callback. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So there you have it. You have Swingers, this... Uh, iconic movie of the late 90s which is just one of those things like i still hear people talk about it today but it's kind of this era where you know dude dude bro movies aren't really well received like well it's you know toxic masculinity and stuff you know there's always something to that argument but i don't think this movie is an example of that like i said my wife loves this movie it's so adorable and she just thinks that john favreau is such a a lovable little schlub that you just want to give a hug to so it's one of these things i just wish this movie had more of an audience than just guys. So it's it's one of these things I, I would implore people who listen to this podcast to to watch this movie and just enjoy it for what it is, even if you don't know the backstory of how it vaulted all these careers into Hollywood. Just an indie movie of all these struggling actors became a big thing, and they all got careers out of it. So that's a big deal. But just as a standalone movie, it's so fun and so honest, and the dialogue is just amazing. And again, the cringe scenes is the one thing that that's all I all I really care about is I want every single person who watches movies to know about the answering machine scene in particular, because that is just a it's a masterpiece. And if you're not interested in the dialogue, you're not not interested in bromance, whatever. Go see Vince Vaughn before he got fat, ladies. <laughs> yes, there you go. Right? He was a good-looking guy. Exactly. He was the money. He was the bomb. Yeah, women can be superficial, too. So, yeah, just look at him before he got fat. So, there you go. And I guess that you could say the same for thing for Favreau, although he was he was, he was was still rather husky in this one, but he got much bigger later. So, that you can see them in their physical prime. 
So there you have it, Swingers from 1996 or 97, 98, whatever George said. I believe it was 96. We have a, a bunch of careers. We got John Favreau. We got Vince Vaughn. We got uh, Ron Livingston. I know you had, you're had. you a Ron Livingston fan, right, George? I am. Office Space. I hope that's another thing that goes on staff picks, although I think everybody loves that. But there's a there's a movie he did that I, I would guarantee that nobody who's listening to this has ever seen. It's called Two Ninas. It was on HBO. Uh, this was probably the time where I was going through the breakup. You know, I was really Mikey and had that heartbreak, and I found this movie, Two Ninas. I won't get too far into it, but it's about Ron Livingston dating two girls named Nina. Imagine that. I think they came up with the name beforehand. And um, it's a great movie. Maybe we'll talk about it in, you know, 2021. All right. Sounds good. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? What are you up to? How can people reach you? I know you uh, you host an open night at the Ha Ha Hole, correct? That's right. I have my business cards, they have a uh, they have a Daffy Duck on there with a cigar. <laughs> okay. But yeah, is there a way people can reach you on Twitter or anything if they uh, if they would like to follow you? Anything you're up to these days? No, I, d- I do improv, but unless you're in Daytona, I don't think uh, uh, you're coming out to see improv uh, with me. But uh, if you want to friend me on Facebook, George Hans, H A N N S, go ahead. I post funny stuff. I don't, uh, you know, I don't talk politics. I just make, uh, you know, the occasional dick joke. <laughs> and really, that's all you can ask for a friend these days. Exactly. As always, this is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you like to reach me, if you have any feedback, if you have any ideas or suggestions, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until the next time we meet, uh, keep an eye out there for the uh, underrated, underloved, or underappreciated movies, and I will be right here and ready to talk about them. Talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Yeah, this place is dead anyway. Thank you.